Hello, I'm Carla Jubaley, host of the Cooking Up Culture podcast, where I explore stories of the role food plays in molding identities, preserving traditions, and forging connections. My guest for this episode is Abira Irfan. She is a fifth-year dietetics student at the University of British Columbia, who is passionate about food, identity, and health. In this episode, we discussed how food was central to Abira's upbringing in a Pakistani-Canadian household and how that led her to studying nutrition. I began by asking Abira what compelled her to study dietetics. I was kind of the first one to go through the school system here in my family, so even just then I was not really understanding the importance of even my cultural food, and so a lot of the times when people talk about nutrition, it's very at least what it was for me in elementary school, was here's Canada's food guide, and here's all the servings, and this is what a plate looks like, and it's some steamed veg on the side of white rice and a chicken breast. And I never felt seen in those sorts of education sessions. And they were also very limited. So not only was the education provided just sparse, when it was sparse, it just, I couldn't see myself in there. And I think maybe this is feeling that's expressed by a lot of immigrant children, a lot of children from different backgrounds. So yeah, I think my inclination to apply was just to really look at food more holistically and really get some of the cultural representation going. And in terms of faith and culture, I really, really was interested in being able to have the opportunity to look at a lot of foods that are significant to me in terms of culture and in terms of faith too. So like being able to talk about their benefits, being able to incorporate them into care, being able to research what they do so yeah I think that was why I had applied because my first two years I was like okay I'm really enjoying this I can see myself kind of doing a lot with this degree and it's something that I'm passionate about and yeah just being able to kind of be a reference point hopefully for people to come to and talk to about food yeah and I hope that in the future if I am providing some sort of care or advice to somebody or just having a conversation then I'm not pushing them away from cultural food. That's so important because I was just thinking about when people are sick in the hospital, you want something that reminds you of what you eat when you're sick, when you're little, right? You don't want to eat something so foreign to you, like this bland, dry (laughs) chicken breast. No, yeah, a lot of not just inclusion of cultural cuisines, but also how do we make healthcare a space where food is part of the care process and so food is really centered on part of the well-being i think it's it's just so important and obviously as i've been in the program i've been learning so much more how common malnutrition is in hospitalized patients and how that impacts their care their length of stay and just overall well-being even mental well-being and also just looking at it from an aging perspective how essential cultural food can be to aid in the growing of a child the understanding of identity and then how those same foods come back when you're a senior if you're an elderly citizen and you want to eat really good food and that how how does that aid in memory and how does that remind you of the places where you've been the people who you've connected to so I just think it's very very interesting and there's a lot that I still don't know there's such big scope so I think that's something I'm really excited about with my degree that hopefully there's a lot of scope to still learn um, as I'm in the workforce. 
Yeah, well, I guess I guess you answered my first question. How does food play a role in preserving and recalling personal memories? Someone who who was a child and then now they're at their older age and how the food that they ate from their childhood can be sort of healing. And I think a personal story is more so just growing up and feeling a sense of connection through food with extended family members that I don't see often. And so now when I have that same food, I'm reminded of certain family members. My aunt loves a certain type of, I guess, the easiest thing to describe it would be like a curry, but in Urdu it's called a salan. So there's like different types of salans basically, and you can have them with rice or you can have them with naan. But yeah, just being able to connect you to people and remember people and it can just be as simple as going to a restaurant with somebody and you revisit the restaurant again and it reminds you of the person you had been here with or the things that you were laughing about or it's just kind of the nostalgia associated to it which is really really interesting it's just like it gives me a warm fuzzy feeling thinking about it do certain smells or tastes trigger nostalgic memories for you and which ones the smell of biryani cooking in in the kitchen is, I'm not even kidding you, I don't know how, it's like a universal experience. And by universal, I mean me and then my two younger brothers. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is a universal experience. <laughs> like, if you're in your room and you just smell a certain scent of cumin, onions, tomatoes, and spices... And it's a very specific proportion. It's a very specific mix. And you and you can just hear the sizzle. I can kind of faintly hear it. Even if I'm thinking about it right now, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what it sounds like when my mom is making biryani in the kitchen. And that smell will literally make me get up from whatever I'm doing. If I'm studying, if I'm reading a book, if I'm literally just watching a Netflix show in my room, get up and I'm running to the kitchen to be like, a confirmation for <laughs> if biryani is being made. It's like same hypnotic. Thing, no, literally. Same thing with my little brother. If he comes back from soccer, he literally can smell it and he'll be like, are we making biryani today? Is that what we're having today for dinner or lunch, whatever it is? It's just such a specific smell. And for us in my household, it's a weekend food. It's a fancy type of thing where guests are coming over biryani is probably one of the dishes that we're serving it's like a good weekend meal you know it's something that we don't really eat as a family without being together and I think that that's very special because it's always been like that for us there's certain meals that are weekday meals in my house Mm -hmm. and so if everybody's on a different schedule I'll come home from class a different time my brother will come home from soccer practice a different time we'll kind of just make ourselves a plate and just eat alone if we have to or eat kind of in pairs just based on our availability but something I've really appreciated is how my parents really push eating together at the table and so biryani is the one food that I'm like if this is being made we're all eating together this table is being set we have to all be together to eat it. I can't remember a time in my life where I ate a plate of biryani alone. It's always been with my family or we've had guests over and so it's large gatherings. And when you go to other people's houses, if we're with family friends or anything, it's also a dish that they serve. I know you spoke about this a little bit earlier with your field of work, but how does cultural background influence the way people associate food with memory? There's so much to it. It's tradition as well. I think also the intersection between cultural holiday slash faith-based events for me in my life has been very intertwined. So I love, love talking about the food that is made on Eid. 
the morning breakfast when you come back from prayer and we're setting the table and it's kind of like the Eid breakfast. And for different families who are Muslim, that could look very different. Even different Pakistani families might make a different breakfast. And so I think having connections to those foods that remind me of specific holidays and foods that we have, for example, preparing for Ramadan, the month of fasting, And so a week prior, my mom and I, and even my brothers, it's a station. We are setting up to make a bunch of spring rolls and samosas, and they're going in the freezer, and we're going to make them for different nights during Ramadan. So kind of the preparation of specific foods to associate with cultural holiday, cultural events, even whether that's weddings or family get-togethers or visiting certain family friends or just religious faith-based events like Ramadan, Eid, that sort of thing, and how different that can be for each family. In my head, I have certain people that I, I can envision what the kitchen looks like when we're all fasting and when we are so hungry, but everybody's involved in that process. My mom is making something, maybe a bigger entree. I'm helping her fry or air fry whatever we're having that day as an appetizer, whether that's samosas or spring rolls or kebabs. My dad is making the fruit salad. He's the go-to fruit salad guy. <laughs> and my little brother, we've been putting him to use, and he's making the drink for that for the night. And yeah. also, I think another big thing for Ramadan has been getting invited to an iftar. So mm-hmm. Iftar is the word to open fast. Getting invited to somebody's house for iftar is so... I can't even describe the feeling it's intimate, it's welcoming, it's warm and fuzzy, and it's really, really special because somebody is inviting you over and taking that extra step to welcome you into their home, and everybody's fasting, and the adhan goes off, and you know that it's all time to break your fast, so now everybody's helping each other pour a glass of water, and the dates are being handed out, and it's so, so special to break your fast together and in community, and I'm very, very thankful that my parents did a mix of both. So we would have family iftars, which were a completely different vibe than going to somebody's house if we were invited or going to the mosque to do iftar. And the mosque iftar is very, very quick and different, but it's very, very special as well. They have a big, I guess, not like a tarp, but but something similar where they kind of just line it on the ground or if there's an underground parking lot in the mosque, they have a table set up and volunteers have these big trays of food and there's lines and everybody's making a plate and it's just such a good vibe. And then naturally you see the community, even people who are not volunteers just kind of come together to help out with cleanup. So rolling up the paper where everybody was sitting to kind of the tablecloth type mm-hmm. of thing. So... It's just so, so special. So yeah, certain foods are associated to certain times in my life, but also it makes me remember things that are significant to me and the memories associated with those events. That's beautiful. I guess on that note, how has food served as a bridge between generations the ability to carry on knowledge and stories and pass them down the fact that i know stories about my grandma and certain foods that she loved and specific recipes and how she would make them and the fact that hopefully that will be passed on as well there's this one specific memory i have (laughs) one specific memory i have 
basically like around eid time mm-hmm. uh we'll get a mitai box so my mm-hmm. dad will go out and get the a treat box, box yeah. yeah yeah so they'll have gulab jamun mm-hmm. barfi different assorted south asian sweets mm-hmm. and so I get super excited, okay, and every time my dad brings it home, he'll laugh at me and say, you remind me of my older sister when we were younger, mm-hmm. getting super excited. It feels like you're a kid again, you know? You're acting like a little five-year-old girl who's like, oh my gosh, yay! Yeah. Like, we all eat a little bit. We all have favorites. Everybody knows who loves what. <laughs> Everybody gravitates towards a certain thing. My, yeah. my mom gravitates towards a specific sweet that has nuts on top. Mm-hmm. I gravitates towards this white, it's called barfi, but there's mm-hmm. a very specific kind, and it's just super creamy. I love that one. It's creamy and chunky. That's so yours. That's mine. Yeah. Okay. And he'll, he'll try to get multiples, right? So yeah. everybody can try a little bit. We'll do a little half cut it, cutting. We'll cut into quarters if we have to manage. But this is one specific memory of it. I think it was like day two or something. And there's a very specific suite. And I'm like, I'm going to eat this after dinner. I claimed it. Everybody can have whatever you want in the box. But I want that one after dinner. I'm super mm-hmm. excited. I haven't tried that one. Claimed it out loud in front of my whole family. Mm-hmm. Dinner is kind of over. We're kind of cleaning up the table. My brother, I have two, so one is 19 and one is right now 12. Mm -hmm. So after dinner that day, Mm -hmm. it's ingrained in my head because I was literally like, I was so... This is a traumatic experience. I was livid. Yeah. Imagine, you know those cartoons where the steam is coming out of their ears (laughs) and their eyes are red? Yeah. Like Looney Tunes. I don't don't know. No, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um... I'm reaching, so my my dad hides the box on top of the fridge. I don't know why he does that, because he's the one who snacks on them the most. So hiding them on top of the fridge is not doing anything for us. Like, really, like, he's definitely there to snack on it himself. But anyway, so I'm reaching on top of the fridge. He pushes me over slightly, reaches it first, and then has the box. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's so rude. Give it to me. And he specifically chooses the one that I wanted and whole thing in his mouth at once. It's all gone. And that was the last one. And I couldn't even understand how fast it happened, why it happened, or why he did that. I was literally like, oh, gasped. And I started crying. (laughs) Like, (laughs) fully crying my eyes out. Like, crying my eyes out. I'm literally crying my eyes out. I run to my dad, okay? Because I'm like, now you have to mediate, okay? And then I run to my mom, yeah. okay? This is how sensitive I am. Yeah. I claimed it, and he did that on purpose to bother me. Have I forgiven him yet for it? No. Like, <laughs> did it happen well over two years ago? Yes. <laughs> like, I still remember it, okay? Um, my dad starts yelling at him, yeah. and he's like, that's so rude, whatever. My mom is just silently staring at me like, what the heck is your reaction right now? And she was like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you crying this much? You're literally sobbing, screaming your eyes out. It's okay. Like, take a deep breath. It's not that deep. I was like, yes, it is that deep. Nobody understands me. Nobody respects what I need. Whatever. And when I cry, my dad, he's kind of like, oh my God, he has to do something. Yeah, because you're the you're his girl. I know, right? So I know that if I cry, my dad's going to do something about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's getting yelled at. Yeah. And then it calms down. After two hours, I go in my room. I'm not talking to him. He got yelled at. We're just not talking. I come out. I come out of my room. I'm kind of calm. And my dad goes, oh, my God, that felt like deja vu to when I would bother my older sister. And she would be pushing, crying. And I'm like, 
I don't need to hear this right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, isn't that crazy? He's like, that's just how younger brothers are. I was like that all the time. I bothered your aunt all the time. And my mom was like, my older brothers bothered me all the time too. They took my stuff. It was just things they do to tease you and get a reaction out of you. Mm-hmm. And they started laughing about it. And I was like, guys, you just don't understand. I'm like <laughs> in such a sensitive place right now. This is not funny. <laughs> but now looking back, it's so funny. It's so funny that he totally went into action mode. Yeah. But after he's kind of giggling to himself and they're laughing together, my parents are laughing together about yeah. how it feels just like a generational thing. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Some of the other stories I've told you, just bonding with grandparents over food. When I went to Pakistan, I think it's now five years ago, but it Mm -hmm. was the first time that I could really remember and I was capturing it all and it was Mm -hmm. so fun. Going to specific restaurants and knowing that my parents ate here when they first got married and they had ice cream out here and returning to your homeland with your family and learning about all the stories and the places that were so significant for them there's this one place called kb's ice cream Mm -hmm. and i went because it was my my parents favorite place it's very popular in karachi apparently Mm -hmm. and it was so good my mom was like oh my god i grew up in this area always wanting KB's ice cream I would beg my older siblings for it and mm-hmm. my and, my, and then my parents started going together when they got married and when we got to go it was so special and then I have some friends who are from Pakistan but I met them at UBC and mm-hmm. I'm like guys you have to go to KB's for me and you have to take a picture you have to take a picture and send it to me mm-hmm. and so it's just so special now the things that were meaningful to them the places that were meaningful to them mm-hmm. are now places that I'm like oh my god yes the food was so good there And now I'm able to talk about that with my friends. And it's like a form of connection. It's so special. No, I'm I'm the exact same way. I'll go to places in Beirut that my dad used to go to when he was younger. And it's just, it's so, so special. And I'll be like, hey, if you if you pass by there, take a picture and send it to me. It's weird how these things make you feel. Yeah, Yeah, even even just just a picture. What are some of the traditional recipes or culinary practices that your aunt taught your mom? Her older sisters. Nihari, Halim, Dal. There's so many. There's even ones that my mom makes a certain way and then she'll make using my aunt's ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh yeah, like this this time she made it in her style. You know? <laughs> yeah. So there, there's so many. If we make lasagna, okay, this is lasagna our way, but then we're calling her and we're like, we're going to make lasagna her way this time, you know? There's very specific recipes associated to certain people. There's so many memories of just my mom. Did her older sisters teach her how to cook or did her mom teach her how to cook? I think I was I was four when my grandma passed away mm-hmm. and we were in Canada and she passed away in Pakistan. Allah yarhamu is what we kind of say. Yeah, like, Allah yeah. yarham. Yeah. So she, she did have time with her, but so, so yeah, she, she did learn from my grandma, mm-hmm. but it was also a lot of a lot her older sisters so it's kind of a mix she has a big age difference between a lot of her sisters so mm-hmm. eight years ten years i think one of them mm-hmm. seven years so, so i think it's like uh, it's a good mix and mm-hmm. so that was a big form of connection for her i could hear it in in the house as we were growing up that was just a reason to call up your sister and you know get her advice on how to make something and then you catch up on life mm-hmm. and you talk about your problems together and yeah it was really special In what ways do generational differences influence the types of food and cooking methods used with family over time? We don't measure shit. (laughs) (laughs) Measuring cups are so crazy to use when I'm baking. Yeah. (laughs) Because my mom's always like, why are you spending so much time measuring out a cup? You should just know what a cup is. (laughs) 
I'm like, mom, I need to measure. And when I'm when I'm baking, it's very precise. I'm like a tablespoon, like to mm-hmm. the tea, pouring whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and she when she bakes, it's like thud, thud. Like she's just like, Damn. Taking, taking ingredients, eyeballing a tablespoon, eyeballing a quarter cup, eyeballing everything. And even when we cook, it's eyeballing how much cumin powder how much coriander mm-hmm. eyeballing turmeric and those specific proportions is, she's such a pro at it now i it's so i wish i could i wish i could be as amazing of a cook that she is because she's able to eyeball all those proportions for all those different dishes mm-hmm. and they all come out tasting different you know so yeah it's and a I feeling think, and i think i've talked to so many of my friends about this too that a lot of their parents from different areas too mm-hmm. a lot of my friends from different arab countries measuring isn't really common Mm -hmm. you just do it by hand you just like eyeball it yeah um it it is very intergenerational because it it just kind of passed down that way of learning my mom always says you'll you'll never learn as much from a recipe from reading a recipe as you will from watching me she's like just watch me she's not sit in the kitchen yeah Yeah. i I, I just sit sometimes talk to her we chat the kitchen is for me and my mom to just Mm -hmm. talk it out and i'm always just watching her Mm-hmm. I've learned so much about different spices to use in different things mm-hmm. just from watching her and smelling things. She'll be like, come here, smell this. Mm-hmm. Come here, taste this. Yeah, It's very experiential. That was Avira Irfan in conversation with me, Carla Jubaley. Join me next time for another episode of Cooking Up Culture, where there's a story in every